For April 13th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 41, a show about nothing. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your host tonight, Matthew Rather, and I am joined by the panel of overthinkers. And our question tonight is uh, the Tasha Yar Memorial uh, question of the week. What is your favorite pointless death of a character... Uh, sudden, pointless, unexpected, seemingly meaningless uh, on a television show. I guess I guess movie is okay too. Um, so starting in uh, starting in where are you, New Jersey? It's Pete Fenzel. Yeah, happy Easter, man. Happy Easter. Hey, and, ha- uh, yo, happy Easter, yo. No, yo, is that yo, yeah. a Jersey thing? <laughs> is that a Jersey yeah. thing? Is that you know? Yeah, you know, in, hey, in church uh, in Jersey, forget you about see some it. Happy, people. happy Easter. Christ is risen. <laughs> forget about it. Uh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like looking in a mirror. This is crazy. <laughs> or listening to one. <laughs> um, I got to give the Lifetime Achievement Award for this one to Doctor Who, who has probably suffered more meaningless deaths than any other fictional character. <laughs> <on record. laughs> for those of you unfamiliar, the the device they use on Doctor Who, to, the, the show's been running off and on for like 40 years, and it's been played by, at this point, 10 different actors. And the device that they use to switch from one actor to the other is the doctor, who's this crazy alien who travels through time, um, suffers a sort of material death, and his body regenerates into the body of the next actor who's going to play the role. And so there's all these inconsistent rules about what happens when he regenerates. But sometimes it's, like, deeply meaningful, but a lot of the time it's just like, oh, no, he got hit by a monster, and now he has to regenerate and be a different person because of contract negotiations. Uh, it works for the design of the show, but definitely has a Tasha Yar feel to it, where it's like, yeah, at any point your main character could be knocked off by a sludge monster, but it really doesn't matter that much, because the show's going to keep going regardless. Right. Well, it's, uh, that's a BBC show, isn't it? Yes, it's a BBC show. It's been on for a long time. It's the renewal of it. It was off the air for a while, um, last 10, you know, years or so, but it's been going for a few years recently, um, and uh, David Tennant has been the most recent one. And at some point in the next couple of TV movies that they're going to do, he is going to suffer a meaningless death and is going to be replaced by a different actor. They, yeah, they rebooted, so, the, they rebooted the franchise, huh? Yeah, they've already had the first guy that they brought back. He also already had a meaningless death. And so his meaningless death is what got David Tennant on the show. The guy who died was the guy who played the invisible dude on the first season of Heroes. He was the first one back when they rebooted the show. Um, and then they brought in... Um, David Tennant, who's been really good, and then he's going to die sometime soon. He's going to be replaced by somebody else. So I never watched Heroes myself. Are there meaningless deaths in Heroes? Oh, gosh. I only watched the first season, and then after after that, everything seemed meaningless. I hear it got better recently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, no, I thought it got bad. I don't know. You know, I can only stand so many uh, heavily serialized hour-long dramas at once, right? (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, in New York... Uh, right across the river from Pete, it's Mr. Mark Lee. Hey, speaking of hour-long uh, serialized TV shows, <laughs> I've been all Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles all the time this week and this weekend. And I guess the low-hanging fruit, the easy way to answer this question would be uh, Derek Reese's offing in the... Spoiler Temple- alert! Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> 
the offing of Derek Reese in the next to last episode. How long, how long of- does the spoiler rule continue? Is it just like, you know, after the opening of a movie, I feel like there's a, you know, two week grace period and then it's a free for all, right? Uh, that way. Yeah, what, I can't are, speak am with, I still with... not allowed to say that like Darth Vader is Luke's father? Is what? that like <laughs> what? <laughs> no, anyway, so... for everyone. <laughs> Let me finish my. my you know pick. what? George, that's... George Lucas ruined it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let, let me finish my thing here real quick. So uh, that's probably a good example. But I'm gonna, uh, you know, uh, the offing of Derek Reese. Um, only to kind of, you know, in a very sudden and uh, unceremonious way, only to bring him back in a, uh, with the method of convenient method of alternate universes on time travel in the following episode. Um, but what I'm going to do is do something a little bit more unique and pick um, from Happy Days, Chuck Cunningham, the older brother of Richie Cunningham. The that would be the um, the what's his face uh, on, Ron, Howard. on Howard's uh, character's older brother who they apparently just kind of didn't even bother to write off the show. He just kind of disappeared after like a couple of seasons or a couple of episodes um, and just disappeared off into the ether. Richie Cunningham had an older brother. It's gone. I didn't even really like I, I, in my, in the fanfic that I, fan fiction that I've written my happy days fan fiction. Yeah. He died a horrible death um, <laughs> and, and, and a pointless one as well, because the family, the show just went on without him. His material, without, his material body suffered a horrible death, but his, uh, his, you know, spirit regenerated into something else. Did it, though? No, that's not my fan fiction. <laughs> why, why are you writing my fan fiction for me, rather? Yeah, that's not in my fan fiction. Yeah, so, uh, so I guess kind of a two-way tie for me. Um, Derek Reese and Chuck Cunningham. May they rest in peace. I want to read about the. I want to write fan fiction about the hot, hot Terminator sex between Summer Glau and whoever that kid who plays John Connor is. He has a very <laughs> determined look. He looks determined. That guy. Uh, that guy is extremely determined. Oh, he's got big eyebrows. That helps a lot. Right. Yeah. No, it helps with with determination. I shouldn't make fun. I think he's a fine actor. I think the acting on that show is is. You, totally above average for a science fiction television show. So you're still using the present tense there, rather, as if that show is going to come back. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm optimistic, though. I have I've heard some rumors on the internets that uh, that it may have been it may have been canceled. We'll we'll get to that. And you know, with, there's rumors floating around. I think I think the rumors about Dollhouse cancellation are premature. But you know, they, they, it may be gone as well. Neither show has been faring particularly. Particularly well in the ratings, and by that, of course, it means they're they're getting like less than five million viewers, like or less than four million viewers. I would take a tenth of that for this show, you know. There were at least like I don't know ten thousand nerds at Comic Con, right? I mean, like all of them were watching it, right? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Unless you're, I think you can't do niche product to a mass audience. You know, I think you can't do niche product on. Uh, on network pr- primetime network television, I think it should be on the Sci-Fi Channel where it you know where it belongs. Where even in the Friday night slot of death, Battlestar Galactica could tell a story that spanned a number of seasons, right? Yeah. Well, you could always pull a Babylon Five and switch networks and like downgrade the show. Right, which is I think. Uh, 
is that a Star Trek solution to a Babylon 5 problem? Or is that a... <laughs> you just like that turn of phrase. You just like that turn of phrase. Is that a Babylon 5 solution to a Babylon 5 problem? You know, there's so many... Um, I live in the world sometimes of doing, like, organizational consulting where I'll go in and, like, you know, give a talk to not to a nonprofit to their professional staff about like hey email doesn't have to run your life guys you know that that kind of thing and uh hey turn off the auto uh turn off the auto checker so you're not distracted every 5 minutes because it turns out that being distracted every 5 minutes is bad for your productivity right uh and um you know, oh God, what, where were, <laughs> damn it, I totally lost the train. You're talking about Babylon 5. Oh, right. And there are so many, there's so many, um, there are so many situations where I just want to say, look, you guys, this is a Star Trek solution to a Babylon 5 problem, right? The, the answer is not more sophisticated email filtering. The answer is like change your mind about something. The answer is change, yeah, the, yeah. Way, the, change the way you behave. You know, I think that hum, yeah. human problems by and large don't have technology solutions. Or I should say yeah. social problems don't have technology yeah. solutions. Yeah. Anyway, but to sorry. clarify what you mean, like a Babylon Five problem is that you have two different races that have like a long-standing enmity, and they have difficulty getting along and cooperating in the context of a mutual security pact or organization. And the Star Trek solution is to like fire a beam of tachyons into the anomaly that's like modulated to just a specific enough degree that it like implodes the problematic, you know, area of space. Right, which is how like a lot that. of Star Trek. You know, it's how a lot of Star Trek episodes are are one, right? With yeah. a, with like a lot of fancy made up scientific mumbo jumbo. But only yeah, after yeah. debating for forty five minutes whether or not the anomaly is sentient. Hey, speaking of waiting <laughs> around for forty five minutes, John, you've been you've been remarkably patient. There. Oh, we are joined it. from Boston by by John Parrish. Uh, hey, welcome on to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Favorite death. Uh, favorite meaningless on-screen TV death, uh, George's fiance Susan, in the series or ep- season seven finale of uh, Seinfeld. Wait, really? Was that, was that one. licking Good the envelopes? One. Yes, licking the envelopes. I was thinking of that one too. I'm glad you brought that one up. It was yeah. a show about nothing, so it does uh, it does stand to reason that death would mean nothing on that show. It it does, in fact, and and I I think they're they're priceless, you know, post post-revelation of her death reaction and then just sort of wander off to the coffee shop uh, makes it, you know, makes it work. Is that how it went down? I, guess, I, mean, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. You know, people, people process grief in all kinds of different ways. <laughs> and, and I think their solution was to, to not even, even acknowledge it as such. Yeah, Very New York. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always just disputed that that was really a show about nothing. It just seemed to me to be a show about single thirty-somethings, somethings living in what the Upper West Side, right? Which Very is self-centered. Yeah, which is which is like nothing. Well, how is that like nothing? <laughs> how is that it's even about, like nothing than like about a bunch of family people living in Wisconsin? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I I always took it as like nothing as being distinguished from you know it's a it's a show. It's a show about trust, or it's a show about coming to terms with things, or it's a show about you know growing older and and losing losing touch with family or friends. It it doesn't have a it doesn't have a convenient moral hook because there is no convenient moral to it. Right. 
I, well, I would characterize that as like overreacting to petty problems, but I guess maybe that's more of a curb your enthusiasm solution to a Seinfeld problem. <laughs> <laughs> as it were. <laughs> so the reason we asked the Tasha Yar memorial question was because of an unexpected and rather pointless on-screen death. Uh, or at least it had a point, except the point was nothing really to do with the plot of the show. And this is a, this is a listener email we got from Travis to our email at podcast at overthinkingit.com. And uh, Travis writes, listening to this week's episode, you guys were joking about the house teaser for this week's app. And I think it was, wow, app. Got the jargon, Travis. Nice. We like it. We like it when people are sophisticated about about pop culture, as sophisticated as we are. The idiot savants. We are Perhaps even more sophisticated. We if cannot. We, if we could be so bold, we cannot fix a car, but you know we can distinguish among types of time travel. In Tuesday, uh, Tuesday. definitely Tuesday, <laughs> definitely Tuesday. <laughs> um. And I think it was Pete who was talking about it, right? Didn't you say, Pete, something along the lines of uh, it was like, oh, this week on a very special house. Every yeah, so often, yeah. every yeah, yeah, so often, a, uh, a, a television show will change the direction that the Earth rotates on its axis. This exactly is that television <laughs> show. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of like close ups of the characters turning their heads as though to look at something off camera. You know, anyway, so uh, Travis writes, uh, house teaser for this week's app. I didn't listen to the show until after I had already seen the episode of House in Question, uh, but remembered thinking the ad was a bit silly, too. But having watched it, that commercial was the only way to preview uh, that episode without completely robbing it of its dramatic punch. It starts like any other episode. House being a jerk, we meet the sick patient, they start developing the puzzle of what's wrong. Then out of nowhere, we find out that, and here's, here comes a house spoiler, right? Uh, so if you care about that kind of thing, you know, I don't know, skip ahead 30 seconds or five minutes or, you know, stop listening. Uh, we find out that Kuttner, one of House's team, had committed suicide. It was something completely unforeseeable, unforeseen anyway by the the... The characters. It was a. I, I'm going to say. I'm sorry. I'm. This is Matt talking, not Travis. Right. It. It wasn't necessarily unforeseeable. And in fact, a lot of the episode dealt with whether it was foreseeable or not, and whether anyone could have done anything. And the kind of, you know, the kind of uh, helplessness and and um, uh, guilt that follows any event like that and tragic and everyone on the end and now we're back to Travis and tragic everyone on the show was left to deal with the bombshell of what their friend had done and the fact that they didn't see it coming and the fact that they'd been unable to help him uh, definitely left me speechless when they first revealed it the reactions on my Twitter feed immediately filled with people saying WTF as soon as they cut to the first commercial uh, I hope I can look forward to seeing this episode discussed further in either the blog or next week's podcast so yes, here we are. It's next week's podcast, and I wanted to I wanted to bring this up and talk about it. And this is why we have the Tasha Yar memorial question. Tasha Yar being uh, killed by the sludge monster in the first season episode, Skin of Evil. But you know, <laughs> I thought it was because it was Holy Week, and we were celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. 
Yes, that also. That also. Except <laughs> that one was completely unexpected. Not like any sort of history of prophecy. Right. Yeah. Wait, he dies? How Wait a spoiler, the, guys. How'd you put the lamb's blood on the ER? The, yeah, right. His office. The yeah. Hey, guys, uh, over his team. spoiler alert for Christianity. <laughs> We really are giving away the end. No, isn't of it more like a spoiler alert for Judaism? Actually, I would say that two thousand years is well outside the statute of limitations for spoilers. <laughs> well, so. right. This is like well, you, not you to hear you guys, to... not to hear you guys talking about it. I think like a two week window is reasonable, and if you haven't seen it, though, I still have not seen the the season finale, uh, the series finale of The Sopranos, and I know that something kind of extreme happens. Yeah, they play uh, Don't Stop Believing on Jukebox. Spoiled. Ooh. So I know something kind of extreme happens. I haven't seen it yet. And I have you tried. You don't to... know what happens in that episode? No, yeah, no, I don't. Oh, and okay. I've tried to avoid it because I'm on okay. like episode six of the final season of The Sopranos. Oh, okay. But, you know, wow. and I just, I kind of ran out of steam with that show in the last year. Mm. Anyway, yeah. um, so uh, like that. So, you know, look, I hate. Uh, I hate all of a sudden plots on television where the show tries to ramp up the stakes in a way that is not painstakingly earned over the course of several episodes, right? Like, I I don't like it when narrative presumes on my, uh, presumes on my, what, moral, moral sense, right, without earning that right, uh, over like long... denotes a certain section of it, this is important. What you're about to see is important because we're going to introduce something that's totally out of left field but has a great deal of emotional weight to it. Right. And it's or... always, you know, it's always accompanied by music because music is the lazy man's way of telling you what to feel. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, uh... yeah, and I, I you know, Mozart I don't like it. I have a problem with that. <laughs> Sorry? I said Mozart might have a problem with that characterization. Well, yeah, but I think okay, no. So I think it can be done well or badly, and I'm saying that the yeah. vulgar way to use it is as like instructions to the audience. You know, right, 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 right. I, yeah. I, I think the bad way of using music is manipulative. Um, right. I, th- I think there's also a, a great way to use music to accompany different kinds of visual storytelling. Uh, we had, for example, we had Bear McCreary, the composer for Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, on this very podcast. If you're interested, you can go back, uh, go to overthinkingit.com and click on the, the menu item for the podcast, and you can scroll back a couple pages. The iTunes feed only goes back, I think, like eight or ten episodes, for whatever reason. FeedBurner does that, and apparently it's not a bug, it's a feature, though I think it's stupid. Uh, but I digress. Cutner uh, dies. I, I don't like that. I think it's cynical. I think it's a cheap ploy for sentimentality. Uh, and, and here's the thing I think that is the overthinking angle on this. It was well known, I guess, immediately after this episode aired. I actually found out about it. You know, by reading it, I didn't see the, the episode first. I read about it on a blog somewhere first. And um, that this actor wanted to get into politics. And so now the actor, who is Cal Penn, who played Kumar and, is, uh, and was one of the doctors on House, is working for the Obama administration in some kind of communications or, you know, public information capacity. He's and, also helping the the closing down of Guantanamo Bay, as I understand it. So he's, <laughs> he's going to be going to Guantanamo Bay. 
He's escaping from and whatnot. Yeah, right, exactly. Because he's also, he was on 24, and he was an undercover terrorist sympathizer, right? they got to be careful with him. Yes, that's right. I remember that one. That was was also, speaking of poorly handled uh, emotional cues on TV, but that's that's another subject entirely. He's got, yeah, he's one of those guys, right, where it's like his... his ethnic background is what it is, but he, the way he's used sort of cynically in Hollywood is versatile, you know, where it's like, hey, let's get that brown guy, right? Where it's like he could be – I believe he is South Asian. I believe he's, he is of Indian descent. The actor is. Uh, but, you know, hey, he could be, you know, Arab or he could be, you know, any number of, any number of things. Because um, of course, because yeah. of course, there's no difference, and who will notice? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so like, is this something? And immediately, the the story of this actor who wanted to go work for the Obama administration was a lot more compelling than the story of a character on House who offs himself. You know, uh, tragic though it is, when people commit suicide, uh, this is. I don't know. It, it it is just not as compelling. I think because it's sort of cynical. It's a cheap kind of ploy for sentimentality. It's not as compelling as the actual story. And you know, I think I feel the same way about Tasha Yar uh, leaving Star Trek: The Next Generation because the actress just couldn't hang with the whole you know Star Trek craziness and stalkers and you know thousands of nerds at conventions and things like this. Is that why she left? Yeah, she just didn't – she was like, uh, you know, in in her best Arrested Development style, she was like, I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you think the show would have been better if the doctor had instead decided to go leave medicine and work for the Obama administration? Maybe. I don't know. They, like, he just like told his real life story and he became like a communications adjunct for like medical professionals. So the Obama administration had to leave the house team and they like went over what it was really what it really meant. Do you think that would have been a better episode? Maybe rather than just shooting himself. I mean, I think if he'd gotten in a fight with house or something and then left, you know, yeah. well, let me ask this question without having ever, really ever seen an episode of house. Was there any indication that he was troubled and potentially suicidal? No, or and this, this was this was this was one of the things that was like a plot point in the episode that it was there was really no though apparently the actor asked and they've been like laying the groundwork for this uh mm. they they knew that this departure was coming um it didn't really seem like it he you know he was sort of the affable one he was the cut up of the the of the three new doctors who are on the team, right? Like there's the hot girl, there's the, uh, you know, kind of troubled, conflicted brooding one. And then there's the cut up. Right. And, and, um, that's who he was. Mm. So, I mean, so it's sort of like, I don't know. I don't want to give another spoiler, but it was like, uh, anybody here care if I give a Battlestar Galactica spoiler? Go no, for go it. to town. I, I know okay. what you're talking about, so that's easy. Yeah, to say, it's when Duala yeah. offs herself near the end of battle, like the Lieutenant Uhura of Battlestar Galactica just freaking shoots herself out of freaking nowhere in the middle of an episode. I mean, they they up the sentimentality to ridiculous levels, and they give you a nice, neat explanation for it, but it still is freaking bullshit. 
you know, if you excuse my French, I really shouldn't use those bad words. It was no, so no, 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 no. Look, I'm I'm comfortable. I <laughs> think we I think we do too much hand wringing about about language. I mean, what the hell is the point of having a podcast and being you know exempted from broadcast standards of of bullshit? <laughs> you know, if we can't say bullshit every now and again, as right. as long as it's not you know, as long as it doesn't come to substitute for the uh, cogent and hard hitting analysis for which the o- OTI <laughs> podcast is known. <laughs> hey, hey, while, while we're um, while we're flaunting, you know, block broadening kind of broadcast restrictions, what is it that I'm rubbing against my microphone now? Anybody care to guess? Anyone? You're, okay, you're, is it a hand. copy of Watchmen? <laughs> no. It was, um, yeah. It was. It was nothing particularly scandalous. That's that's okay. funny because copy of Watchmen is my name for my dick. I remember not thinking mine. when I remember thinking when Duwara offed herself how lazy it was to write that in because, um, and I think Matt, I've had this conversation with you when we've been working on independent writing projects. Like the empirical evidence um, that I've come across for the reasons why people end up committing suicide. It doesn't often really come from an intense moment, right? And maybe in the house thing, it was more realistic in that it came kind of out of nowhere. Nobody really expected it. It was related to sort of a pathology that he was having. Um, you know, that, that Duala, they had a very clear narrativized reason why she did it. But uh, a lot of the research around suicide, you know, in real life suicide is that, you know, opportunity is a big factor, a huge factor. That, like if you put a higher railing next to the bridge in, that goes through your town, the suicide rate in your town can drop dramatically. The big, uh, the big, the big uh, sort of moral, the big sort of uh, case for this, the case study for this is the English case, right, where English homes post-industrial used to have, uh, there used to be um, coal smoke was the main sort of um, what we use for natural gas now was coal smoke, and coal smoke was highly toxic. It had lots of um, carbon monoxide. And that's how Sylvia Plath killed herself when she stuck her head in the oven. The oven had coal smoke in it that suffocated her, and she died. And when England, when they got rid of the coal smoke and they replaced it with natural gas, the suicide rates across the country plummeted. They just plummeted. And, and this is used as evidence by health, you know, public health professionals to say that suicide is not really this hugely dramatic thing that people are often associate it with. And it's not often something that you can think of as strictly volitional. Like, people do it because of, of opportunity and things that they're going through at a given moment, you know, and, and it's something that happens to you and can be sort of, it doesn't necessarily work in a cause and effect sort of way. And, and so thus, I feel like when it's used as a narrative device, it's lazy, you know, because it doesn't reflect the real nature of the beast, which is much more unpredictable and chaotic than it is in stories. So they tell um, you, I, you mean, know, I mean, I, as far as I've heard from like mental health professionals, they tell you to be wary of someone like talking about it, right? If someone, if someone is sort of extremely de- depressed and like, I, I, I've heard that I, and I don't know when or where, but like I, I recall hearing at, at one point that suicide is often preceded by a period of talking about suicide, right? Right, 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 right. right. So that like, yeah. yeah, and then right, and then you get the. Uh, uh, yeah, and then then the opportunity presents it, pre- presents itself, and and uh, and it can yeah, happen. Ideation and stuff like that. But like, there's also stories that there's a great article in New York Times on this a while ago about bridge design and people designing bridges to make them hard to jump off of. 
And uh, they were telling stories about how there was somebody who went to the Golden Gate Bridge to commit suicide but didn't like the side of the bridge that he was standing on and wanted to jump off of the other side of the bridge and was trying to cross the street but was afraid of getting hit by a car. So he ended up waiting there by the side of the street for a while, and then somebody saw what he was doing and picked him up and saved his life because uh, <laughs> he was afraid of, of a car accident. <laughs> so it's, you know... <laughs> I mean, I guess the moral of the story is like, I don't know. For me, in Battlestar Galactica, those people had been through so much that if they were really going to commit suicide because of something that they had encountered, it was going to happen, have happened already. You know, and like just happening now because now you've hit your breaking point. I mean, if that's going to happen, it's going to be because maybe somebody has a dopamine deficiency or is depressed or not getting enough exercise or like has, you know, genetic predispositions or just one, some sort of mental health problem. Not just because, oh man, now all of a sudden I can't deal with my life. You know what I mean? Right. And the I mean, all I, of I, a I sudden, yeah, the all, I, I think you're saying the same thing is that like the all of a sudden nature of it is not really good storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it isn't good storytelling when it is accurate. It's not good storytelling. And when it's, when it is good storytelling, it's not accurate. You know what I mean? That's that's a good way to put it. I mean, the the suicide in Battlestar Galactica always always bothered me. Sort of expanding off this, but not adding much to it. It because BSG very much gave the impression of a a purpose driven universe. Like everything had this momentous destiny and import behind it. And there's prophecy and there's fate and there are these prophetic visions and all that. And then to introduce this element that implies a nihilistic, meaningless universe and say, well, you know, nobody saw it coming. It can happen to anyone. It's like, well, yeah, but that's not the kind of universe we were living in in this story. Yeah. This story was set yeah. in a very, you know, meaningful, portentous universe, not one struck by, you know, these random moments of, of chaotic nonsense. You know, we stare into the abyss like Rorschach, etc. Yeah, and also one where people have a natural tendency to sort of persevere in their problems, not only to, like, resist the annihilation, but also to continue dysfunctionally in courses of action that are problematic because they have a sort of natural, like, will to life, you know? Yes. So I don't know how this affects House, because I didn't watch the House episode, but I did see that awesome commercial where I was informed that, like, the world would never be the same. No, it's actually that you would not be able to talk about it. It would defy explanation. So we're right now proving those marketers wrong. Right, absolutely. <laughs> there, yeah, we, there's, we I think there's a, tr- there's a truth in advertising issue here, <laughs> I think. I think there needs to be a lawsuit. A fairly, yeah, no, a, fa- a class action suit. We're all talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, when someone tells me I can't talk about something, it does make me want to talk about it. Mm. Yeah, forbidden fruit, man. You got to watch out for that stuff. I guess so. Yeah, especially yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) who? It is Easter. Speaking of of death. Yeah, speaking. yeah, I was going to say, speaking of forbidden fruit, but what are you going to say? What's your segue, Matt? Give me your segue. Let's see if it's any good. What's that? Oh, uh, I guess speaking of death and resurrection. Okay, go for it. Go Hey-o. for it. Uh, because Tasha Yar did come back later playing right. her own daughter, or playing her, that is, Denise Crosby came back playing her character's daughter. Uh, yeah. The product of a union between Tasha and a Romulan in an alternate timeline. Right, right. Whoa. <laughs> Which is, you know, the uh, in the anti-time data, anti-time. <laughs> <laughs> I caused it. I'm causing it, and I will cause it. <laughs> uh, that was a great. 
That was a great episode. <laughs> anyway, sorry. What were we talking about? Um, oh, speaking of resurrection, <laughs> it's uh, it is it is Easter, the least telegenic of holidays. <laughs> Right? It's not like there are Easter specials the way there are Christmas specials. And why should this be? There are, I mean, there are both sacred and secular rituals mm. associated with Easter, like, yep. uh, like with Christmas. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. gift giving is not as big a part of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it might be harder to, I don't know, uh, to generalize. I guess people's observance of Easter is a lot more... Uh, individualized, so it's hard to like. You don't you don't ever see like home for Easter, or maybe like on the continuum between totally secular and totally religious. Easter still leans a little more towards the reli- the religious than Christmas does. Yeah, Easter is one of those holidays where, well, as as opposed to Christmas, where even if you celebrate it secularly, there's still a great deal of of weight and sentiment behind it, like all oh, family coming together, presents, etc. Easter, you either celebrate religiously, in which case it has meaning, or secularly, in which case you're just hunting for chocolate bunny rabbits. Yeah, Um, or trying to get a table for brunch. (laughs) Yeah. Or drinking Milwaukee's best. I had a friend... uh, (laughs) Easter hunt. (laughs) <laughs> You're drinking the beast on Easter, Easter? The, the Beaster, uh, the, the Beaster egg or Beaster, Beaster something. I don't know. That's a thing, you know, Beaster, anyone? Be- Beaster? I'm not familiar with this, this convention. I, I perhaps come from a different denomination of Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> no, Benzola, I, I think we're, we're the same one, but this is, again, you know, coming from this, I guess, the secular, uh, the secular Easter tradition. Oh, okay, okay. You're not from, like, new Pentecostal Mattyist or something? <laughs> no, not only the new Pentecostal Mattyus drink alcohol. Mattyus? Yeah, yeah. Like nat- Natty Light. Oh, Mattyus. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, no, I want to. Mattyus. Mattyus is one of my favorite uh, apostles. <laughs> Matthias, you mean? Ma- Matthias. Matthias is pretty awesome. Isn't there? Isn't Thaddeus an apostle? Um, oh, I think so. No, no. no. As in, like T H E T H A D D E U S. Yes, but I, I'm, I'm. Oh God, I think this joke has outlived its its useful life, right? Well, Mark was in the middle of something he wanted to say. So no, I, I was, I was, just, I was just saying. So, just you know, we, we were talking before the show started about you know our favorite pieces of uh, Easter pop culture that have actually been produced. I mean, there's obviously right. not as much, as much of it as Christmas stuff. Um, but definitely like, you know, Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments. Maybe the Ten Commandments isn't really Easter-related, but Ben-Hur definitely. Well, Passover, yeah. The, yeah. the Ten Commandments is only Easter-related because they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they aired it on primetime TV every Easter. Yeah, they do um, still. And it, it's about they, Passover, they still do, which yeah. is really what Easter is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, it's Easter-related. I mean, it's so also it's an Easter prequel related. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so let it written, so let it be gone. That movie is freaking awesome, and Ben-Hur is also awesome. I love those movies. You know, Master Builder or Master Butcher. It's no Crank 2. I think it is like Crank 2. I think that Moses gets sort of charged up at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, and he's not allowed to stop until they reach the Promised Land. It <laughs> 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 is the burning bush is, is something that Jason Statham will confront at some point, dumbfounded in his filmic life, and will eventually have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's in in that sense. I think almost every movie is like Crank 2. 
any good one. <laughs> bad ones like because there's because there's something that the hero has to accomplish, and you yeah. know he has to do it in a very very short time, and it's very important that it happen now. Yeah, exactly, we, exactly. We are generalizing an awful lot on a movie that none of us have seen yet, so it, it's going to be awfully disappointing if Crank 2 doesn't live up to our awesome expectations of it. Crank 2 well, is actually produced by Merchant Ivory. Well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, John, since it's Easter, I'll say this much. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. <laughs> and yet I believe you. Oh, yes. Crank 2 is awesome. That's more, more of a Pentecost kind of observation. I, I, am, I am the doubting Thomas whom, whom Jason Stainham would cast from him saying, Apage Satanas. Yes, that is. He <laughs> jump kick you in a grease fight. Does that mean that you're going to stick your fingers into the side of Jason Statham? Uh, <laughs> yes, because Jason Statham will indeed acquire many wounds in Crank 2. Uh, but we'll rise again for the third movie. In the <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, there was a claymation movie called The Miracle Worker that came out a while ago, um, which I think... I think Wait, Jesus really? Was, like, in that one. was it about Jesus or was it about Helen Keller? No, it was about Jesus. It wasn't about Helen Keller at all. It was kind of plagiarizing the title. It was a trademark infringement. No, I think because one of my one of my friends used to like it. I think it was like, and Jesus was was claymated as kind of a ruddy skinned either Arab or or, Af- or Jewish. You know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know the specific ethnicity. Mediterranean um, or Sem- Semitic. Well, yeah, I mean Semitic, but you know, Aramaic, whatever. Uh, and then, like he was, he looked, he looked like he was from the Middle East or Africa, um, and it was a claymation of the story of Jesus. And I think it came out around Easter, back in like 2002 or something like that. Maybe somebody can IMDb that and see if that actually exists. I'm calling it over the phone, so I can't do it. I don't have access to the information superhighway like you people. Isn't this but, amazing? Um, Isn't technology fantastic? It really is. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It's kind of. A what, what were you saying? I was distracted by going to try to look that up now. Oh yeah, technology is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I was because my my sister came up to me and was asking me if I could get access to an old New York Times article. And I was like, well, the best way to do that is to go to the library and to look through the microfilm libraries. And I instantly knew that this was a suggestion and that was never going to happen. (laughs) So it's I mean, I remember having to train and to do that. And it's definitely very tedious, although, you know, don't you remember that when like going to school? I don't know. We had them in college, but also in high school, there was like a. uh, like a, a library, a library orientation. Class, yeah. Actually, you know what? It was a requirement of the English major at co- in college. Yeah. That yeah, we- and I actually didn't fill it out. I didn't fulfill it until like the week before I graduated, and they made me do a special 30-page like test to sh- prove my library knowledge because I missed the library orientation. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to the library orientation, and it was pointless. It was like, yeah. you know, it was essentially like, hey, guys, did you know all the things you can do at the library? Like, you can call ahead, and they'll get the book for you and have it waiting for you at the desk. Isn't that awesome? Have you perused our extensive laser disc collection? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They better have Sister Act 2. That's the only movie I ever want to see on laser disc. It's also the only movie I ever have seen on laser disc. You know what the only movie I want to see on laser disc is? This is a real talent tangent. I'm just going to acknowledge that. But apparently, like, the most pristine versions of the original Star Wars movies... Um are on Laserdisc, the ones that were originally... Oh. Um, because everything post then, you know, the VHS versions, um, the DVD versions all are either, um, you know, the special edition versions 
or an inferior, essentially DVD transfer of the original ones. Um, oh, so cool. apparently, Laser to Star Wars is totally where it's at. That's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my friend's extensive Laserdisc collection, which they got on eBay for a for a song, because it was like you know Laserdisc player and several hundred Laserdiscs. It's like, eh, we've got space, you know, why not? Uh, I've seen both uh, the Abyss and the original, the original original Dune on Laserdisc. Uh, the, the Abyss being very good, the original Dune being what it was. Now, uh, the problem I always had with Laserdisc, because the film program at my high school showed movies on Laserdisc before the advent, or at least the widespread popularity of DVDs, uh, was that it like it's 20 minutes aside, and then you have to like flip it over. Yeah, what's your point? Well, that sucks. <laughs> that you, have to, you have to get up every 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever in the movie and flip it over. A movie fits on, like, four sides, you know, of two laser discs. That's well, Matt, a, fun to, to, like, two reels? Do they do it by reels? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Matt, that's a, defense just, like, me- that's a defense mechanism against getting too engaged in the movie because otherwise, you know, you get this this psychotic level of focus, this immersion that breaks your reality and so that... The twenty-minute mark lets you, you know, step back and, and acknowledge the fourth wall and the real world and uh, and and regain your sanity. I guess so. Yeah, and I guess it, yeah. the fact that we were doing cinema studies at the time, I guess, bears on this because we were supposed to be, you know, very alienated from what we were watching and you know aware of the constructedness of it at all times. <laughs> I rather right, wasn't right. this all just an elaborate ploy to just to remind everyone of the fact that your high school had a film studies curriculum. <laughs> With, uh, with, actually, yeah, with multiple teachers, believe it or not. Wow. Like, there, there was a film department that had more than one guy teaching film in it. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, in my high school, we, uh, you know, we watched a movie when the, sub- when the, when the teacher was out sick. <laughs> you know, that's what we did in my high school. That's, that's just freaking great, rather. So what, what would you watch? <laughs> I'm, I'm busting your chops. I'm busting your chops. No, no, I, wish I, no I, I mean, I, look, my my high school, uh, which, you know, for those listening, was uh, Crossroads School for Arts and Sciences in Santa Monica. You may know us from the numerous, numerous Vanity Fair pieces about us. And also because, like, the first Brett Easton Ellis novel is, I think, set at my high school. Uh, or a thinly fictionalized version of it or something like that. There's, you know, some famous, you know, L.A teenage novel like that um you know and you can criticize us for the wretched wretched excess i mean at you know at some point they had to ban prada bags right (laughs) someday i hope to set a thinly fictionalized novel at my high school (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a it's a private school and actually i i shouldn't i don't need to be coy uh, apparently two two alumna of that school uh found me uh via this podcast so loyola blakefield high school in towson maryland uh hi tom and, and hi john if you're listening uh Woo-hoo. Throw your load yeah. up. so yeah Throw someday i hope to set a thinly fictionalized uh novel at that high school although i don't know what it would be about because it was it was a, a decent high school and i had a, an okay time there did it have laser discs though Oh, we we had. Uh, I don't. I don't think we had laser discs. We we definitely had microfilm. I did get the microfilm training and and how to look things up using uh, using Library of Congress notation. 
Well, I mean, uh, basically what I'm establishing here is that the world is divided into two types of high schools, those with laser discs and those without. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to rip on my high school because from the beginning where we got 30 seconds of Velcro time every day to just uh, do and undo the Velcro on our shoes uh, to the end where where we uh, were uh, to the end in the 12th grade where our experience culminated in a Lakota Sioux sweat lodge that we shared with our closest friends in our class. Uh, you know, I had a great time. Do I'm you glad really you did have Velcro that. time. Are you are you serious? <laughs> yeah, our t- our kindergarten teacher could not stand Velcro, and the way kids would like just sort of absentmindedly play with the Velcro on their shoes. So she uh, she allowed for thirty seconds of Velcro time every day uh, just to get it out of everyone's system. <laughs> wow, I mean, I had that in college, but I didn't think that they had that in the uh, the kindergarten level. <laughs> 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 wow. <laughs> Man. <laughs> hey, were, were we talking about Easter or something? Or? Yeah, no. yeah, let's, let's come back to the topic of our podcast. <laughs> Notionally. Hey, oh, oh, John, that's my other favorite word. Other than purported, uh, <laughs> notionally is my other favorite word to, uh, to describe things. It's what? so useful when you're doing literary criticism. Can, can someone is, use the sentence, please? What does mean? What's that? People mind know that word. It means um, it means uh, in concept, right? Or in uh, in in name only. Well, right. So right, yeah. In what's well, nominally? Is name only right? Yes, exactly. Or notionally, or notionally I think. Yeah. In notion. Or like the the notion. You know where I heard it used was I think. Um, Robert Pinsky has written a, I think he's the poet. It may be another poet. Someone correct me. Podcast at overthinking it.com. If I'm wrong, wrote a series of poems, uh, that are in, uh, iambic verse and they're in couplets. So each poem consists of two sets of verses that are in couplets, but the verses are interleaved. So they are in cross rhymed quatrains, ABAB quatrains. And, uh, the poem reads, each set of verses reads separately, but if you interleave them, they it makes sense together and it means something entirely different. Okay. Does that? I mean, that's it. That first of all, I just got to acknowledge. You know, as a guy who you know wrote poetry for a living for a year, right? That's a neat. <laughs> that's a neat trick. Like, right. if you actually can do that and make that work, that's non-trivial, and that is, that is pretty cool if you can make it work. But anyway, so the poems were notionally double-exposed pieces of film, and each, of, each set of verses described, uh, described one scene that might be captured by a camera— uh, and and the idea was in the interleaving of the verses, the uh, the film had been double exposed. Two shots had been taken on that same piece of film. So the um, so the poem was notionally a double exposure. Oh, interesting. I like it. I like that word. So that's that's a, that's it, a much more sophisticated use of the word notionally than than I've probably ever used. Oh, really? That was where I was introduced to it, I guess, or introduced to it in the sense that I love it so. Uh, uh, my thoughts right now is that I've just gone so far from my laser discless high school days to this <laughs> unfathomable level of pretension on this podcast right now. <laughs> rather, rather, just to be clear, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be crapping all over you, 
and 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 your high school and your poetry. I just I'm just getting quite a lot of amusement and mileage out of this right now. And I yeah, know like, hey, hey, Mark, I'm with you. My high school didn't even have a cinema studies department, so yeah. Hey, like so, so, just to just to add up. to um, just to add to the skill of useless and non-marketable skills I have, I am starting an MFA program in acting in the fall. You know, right. <laughs> I am going yeah. to grad. I am going to grad school to be, you know, further trained as a theater actor. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, uh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, not really. Not really relevant to the podcast, though. No, no. Um, did we want to talk about the Terminator stuff and the Terminator show being canceled? Oh, right. Yeah, those are canceled. Uh, that, any, that's what? a segue. Spoiler alert. That's a great well, segue right there. Anyone want to be? Uh, anyone want to be? Uh, anyone want to wrap Easter up, or should we just move along? Let's let's put well, it in I the mean, tomb, and then it'll come back in a few days. Right. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> let, let me address quickly the the, Sarah, the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles is canceled thing. Right. Because... Yeah. You do that, and then I'll talk about Dollhouse when you're sure, done. Because someone, someone, I'm not sure who exactly. One of the overthinking it writers twittered that you no, know, a blog post that they'd found, which is basically says, you know, hate to break the news, but Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles is canceled. So what this article specifically was was a blog post from a few weeks ago, actually the end of March, um, where somebody. Um, claims to basically have found inside knowledge from people at Warner Brothers and Fox that the show has the set has been completely dismantled and that the show is canceled. Everybody knows it. It's just not official yet. Um, so some people, uh, you know, tweeted back at us and says, oh, it's just a blog post. It's unconfirmed sources, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, obviously, I don't have a whole lot of hope for the show right now. I've pretty much resigned myself to the fate that it's been canceled. I know that goes against no fate, but what we make. Um, but uh, that's just kind of the, the, the latest in the Terminator is canceled or not canceled front was my understanding. Yeah, I, I do agree. I read the blog post and it does seem fishy because it's not official. It's not anyone connected with the the network. And I am suspicious of this kind of this kind of thing that happens on the Internet where it's like, well, everyone in Hollywood knows or I heard from someone who heard from someone and I'm putting it on the Internet. And it's like it's inside information. Right. I was at the Warner Brothers studio today, which is literally what, what, what the what the blog post says. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of along the lines of my high school had a laser disc, uh, you know, film department. You know what? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay you can you can you can I'm gonna stop that's the last laser disc reference i'm gonna make on this podcast I yeah promise. yeah everyone can rip on me <laughs> blinky's been ripping on me recently the uh oh, what for? what's that oh what i think for? i think being a disaffected hipster who enjoys the band vampire weekend and likes to type on my macbook oh right right you were pissed off at that <laughs> yeah, it was a caricature. It was a caricature of me. I actually I saw Belinky today. He was in town, uh, though he's not on the podcast. I think he's traveling, traveling home to New York. And um, I I actually brought it up with him, and and I was like, dude, was that a caricature of me? He was like, oh, I thought it was a caricature of Sheila. hipsters. So they're bow 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 bow. What? Nice. What is? I yeah. I don't know. Terminator dollhouse. The internet has made everyone an expert on everything, which masks the fact that no one fucking knows anything about anything. Sorry, sorry. But but that's the thing that every expert eventually discovers, right? Well, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. 
is all that you know is that you know nothing. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I believe like, it was it was Socrates actually who who originally said, "Screw all you bloggers, I'm going home." Or right. Right. That effect. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> or who said that you know you will be the master when you can take the pebble from my hand. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that I believe is it. Yeah, that, that's the exact words. Well, yeah, that's the literal translation from the Greek. Yours was more idiot, idiomatic. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Dollhouse. There's been, I mean, sort of from the beginning, there's been just incredible Michigas and uh, Suris around Dollhouse, right? Where it's where uh, the first pilot. What the hell do those words mean? What do those words mean? <laughs> <laughs> Are we speaking Greek there for a second? <laughs> No, no one speaks Yiddish on the uh, on the podcast tonight. It's Passover. The Yiddish speakers aren't on the podcast right now. <laughs> <That's a> good... <laughs> they can't use electricity during these hours. I think. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Um, Suris means hardship, uh, and Mishigas means craziness. Oh, like Michigan. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so uh, right, so. At the beginning, there was this big thing about, oh, they didn't air the original pilot. You know, they produced a pilot and they didn't air it. And that is, in fact, true. They produced a pilot and uh, between the show's creative team and the network, they decided not to air it, but instead to kind of cannibalize it uh, or to sort of just scrap it for spare parts. And footage from that original pilot never aired. Uh, has been interspersed into other episodes throughout the season. So uh, they've, they, they've just, yeah, cause I, I, I remember seeing like a, like a, a first episode that, that laid the groundwork pretty well, that, that felt like a pilot to me. It had that same level yes. of and then they expository re- talking, but that wasn't the, the that, pilot. That wasn't pilot. the original pilot. And then they remade that pilot. They remade that first episode uh, into the pilot that we all saw on TV. Speak for yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because your television tastes are really highbrow. Look, I've got some uh, Gene Roddenberry and drama reruns that I have to get to. So <laughs> keep this are you not? Are you not watching? Uh, uh, are you not watching Shark in Venice tonight? <laughs> I'm psyched for 24 tomorrow because Jack Bauer is totally going to die. But I won't get into that now because, you know, spoilers. <laughs> I hope there's an episode of The Unit on tonight so that I can go watch it when we're done. Anyway, so, um, so they produced that episode and Fox allowed it to be counted towards the 13-episode order uh, that the network had paid for. Though they never aired it, and Fox was okay with that. Yes? So we were going to get a 12-episode season of Dollhouse on Fox. Yes? Okay. Everyone with me so far? Good. Makes sense. Okay. The DVD deals are made separately from the uh, primetime network television deal, right? Right. It's done. The studio that makes the show sells that separately from selling it to the, the network that airs it originally. And that... Um, that requires uh, that deal for whatever reason, the way it was written required 13 episodes. Right now they had this pilot that I guess everyone agreed wasn't very good. And that was scrapped. And also that showed up in dribs and drabs throughout the season. So you can't use that. So they ended up making a, like a coda episode 
that is not really the plot is all tied up like the big climax and denouement has already happened and there's this sort of I, from what I understand there's this more reflective and kind of less plot driven narrative driven episode that they made um that will be the 13th episode on the DVD, though Fox didn't want to pay extra because uh, they had already paid for their 13 episodes, even though they didn't show one of them. Right. Th- that's my understanding of where Dollhouse is. So I think it's premature to say Dollhouse is going to be canceled or, is, or uh, not canceled. I mean, canceled means cut off midstream uh, is not going to be renewed for next season just on the strength of the evidence that Fox is not airing this uh, 13th slash 14th sort of coda episode, and it will only be seen on DVD. And that's the only, that's the primary evidence that people have to say that the show is not going to be renewed. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it would come in over the transom, right? Like, I, you know, I'm I'm on the lookout for news about Dollhouse because I'm wondering whether it's going to be renewed. It doesn't have uh, it didn't have great numbers this year, but it did have a big increase. Uh, what, actually, one of the biggest increases in network television uh, for the for the plus seven numbers. That is, people who DVR'd it and watch it within a week of the original airing. Right, right, right. And does that help them generate ad revenue at all? Or no, because those people are those people are. Uh, Hey, uh, hey, Pete, your uh, your eggs are done. No, that's our smoke detector. Oh, really? <laughs> do you, yeah, do you, yeah, do you yeah. need to move to safety? Um, no, no, I don't. I don't listen to those sorts of things. You know, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, those people don't. Um, they don't necessarily count towards towards ad impressions or like towards the sort of aggregated eyeballs. Uh, that you get the ads in front of, which is really what you're selling to advertisers on network television, right? Because right. they're by and large skipping through the ads if they're watching the show on a uh, on a DVR. So you know it it remains to be seen because um, you know the popularity of a television show is only important insofar as it as it allows. Uh, the networks to charge more for advertising time on their shows. You know, right. uh, you could have the most popular show in the world, and if it was popular for an undesirable demographic, it, you know, it still could be canceled. Right. Um, right? That I, you know, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not quite ready to uh, bring the curtain down on Dollhouse just yet. I mean, I hope that they're, I don't know. I hope that they learned something from Firefly about like, you know, giving this guy time to do his thing. Cause it, it's clear from Buffy and from, uh, you know, I don't know Angel as well, but like that, that he does good work. It's a good writer. I don't think anyone's disputing that, you know, but we'll sell ads. Got to sell those ads. What? What, John? You don't you don't like uh, you don't like Buffy or Angel? I, I not wanting to start this argument. I've always thought that Joss Whedon <laughs> is good, but not great. I've never been able to embrace the the level of of fandom and fervor that the internet seems willing to throw at him. Do you not like hot nubile girls with supernatural powers? Uh, no, I I I do like that. Uh, 
I I just don't think uh, Joss Whedon puts intelligent words in their mouths. I'm with you, John. You know, I've, I've often thought his work's been overrated for a long time. And, I mean, I'm glad he gets television shows because it's not like it's a total waste of time. But, yeah, I don't understand why people really deify him this much. See, to, if, if, I had to, if I had to sum it up in a sentence, it would be that he, he's trumpeted as taking such a, a new and refreshing and revolutionary view on, you know, the role of women or, you know, the, the way relationships work or, you know, these new and inventive stories. When really, when you boil it down, it's, it's actually just stock sitcom plots. Like, you know, guy loves girl, but guy is afraid to tell girl about it, so they dance around the issue for 18 episodes. Uh, stuff like that. that. That's the Joss Whedon alarm beeping in the background warning me <laughs> that I'm speaking ill of him. Yeah, guys, there's some smoke coming into this room, but don't worry about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to hang out here for a second. <laughs> it's the blue wire. It's the blue wire. <laughs> you do you do what you got, It is it is Easter. It is uh you know, it is a time for like cooking roasts in the oven. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the kind of stuff that's been going on, so Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say this. Like as far as yeah, no, as far as the originality of the premise, uh or as far as the originality of the, you know, plot situations sure i i totally see what you're saying i think that those things though you know are are can be compelling stories you know like a, you know the guy likes the girl and doesn't tell her about it i mean how many times that i i don't know anyone on this call who's ever been in that situation right you know certainly not me Right, uh, liking the girl but not telling her about it. I, I, I... In, in fairness, yes, that's a relatable scenario, but I don't know that that's, you know, if TV is a form of escape, that's not the kind of thing I want to turn on and see, you know. And, for, and furthermore, this, this might just be me talking, but I don't want that set up as, as a kind of ideal or as something to be sympathized with, like, oh, you know, poor... Xander, I've never watched an episode of Buffy, so I don't know if this was the case with Xander, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it was. Uh, you know, poor Xander not able to express his his feelings regarding such and such girl. Uh, and, you know, that that's not that's not sympathetic. That's just pathetic. You know, get over your... It is, yeah, it is true. They do raise being, like, poorly socialized or awkward to, you know, to the level of a kind of deification. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- that's what that's what you're saying, right? That that, that, that... I that Josh Sweden is sort of a check swing Kevin Smith. Like he goes about half of the way there to where Kevin Smith is and is sort of like um kind of jaded contemporary view of human relationships, but he doesn't go all the way there. And he see, keeps a little bit of the old school melodrama and sentimentality that Kevin Smith that kind of dispenses with. I he also am... has about half the snappy dialogue. <laughs> yeah, that all, that all Kevin sorts... Smith has? Yeah, I, I mean but it's it, Kevin Smith is snappy to a fault. Like, you know, do a fault. Um. <laughs> and, and yeah, snappy to a fault is the way I would put it. I mean, I, I think, I think he needs, he needs better actors to deliver the, the complexity of the dialogue that he scripts them with. Like I, I, I wrote about this once. I think you're right. The, I think you're totally right there. Almost a year ago at this point that, you know, mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones maybe could pull off some of the lines that were given to, uh, uh, Nathan Fillion in Firefly, but I don't think Nathan Fillion could pull him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is true that because he's in kind of the genre ghetto in that like sci-fi ghetto, 
you can't get the you can't get this sort of super experienced talent. You know? exactly, exactly. And he doesn't There's only so much Kevin Sorbo to go around people. He can't be on every show. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't go the he they don't go the he doesn't go the Star Trek route, which is to get like extremely accomplished classical stage actors like uh uh like Kate Mulgrew and Patrick Stewart and and, uh, and Avery Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Avery Brooks. <laughs> well, okay, that's not quite fair, but uh, I mean, <laughs> um, the uh, right, like Avery Brooks. I think Pete, it was you who once said, like, if Avery Brooks ever said, you know, the word fire, you know, it was going to be the most well enunciated fire that <laughs> the cosmos had ever seen. Well, yeah, he is, he is the best enunciator that there is out there. He's a champion enunciator. When you discovered that babies weren't delivered by storks, that was an epiphany. Remember those commercials? When you talk about, like, AT&T corporate-wired corporate networking solutions or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Corporate-wired networking solutions are so far outside of what I spend my days concerned with. I spend, my days with cons- I spend my days concerned with this girl, and I can't really tell her that I like her, but I really <laughs> like her. Oh, it's, it's a good thing you have Maybe Tommy Jones has something to say about it. Come on over Man, here, let's Tommy give you forty-eight Jones. minutes and let's give you forty-eight minutes and three commercial breaks to hash that out. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's worse. It's like five commercial breaks. Anyway, oh, yeah, God. yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't – I mean, I think that's what – I think the quality of the acting talent also is what made the West Wing sort of sing, right? Because that dialogue would be extremely cheesy in the hands of of lesser people than Martin Sheen or uh, Amos – what's his name? John Amos or uh, Bradley Whitford, right? Yeah, and it's the same on Sports Night with Peter Krause and Robert Guillaume and Felicity Huffman and William oh. H. Macy. I mean, and Josh Char- Sports- yeah, and Josh Charles, right? Sports Night was fantastic. Oh, and, and yeah, yeah. the dialogue there is equally ridiculous, but they, they were actors capable of – actors capable of pulling it off, and it was also directed and edited well enough to make the sort of uh, once they got timing of it. Once they got rid of the yeah. laugh track. It, oh, yeah, 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 in those definitely. early episodes, the ones that have the laugh track, ooh, it is a little painful. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that that is that that has gone the way of the dodo, the laugh track, mm. right? Anyway, the, way of the dodo, but certainly the way of some sort of large bird that's in fewer places than it used to be. Like maybe the, the, the ostrich. The, the way of the passenger <laughs> pigeon, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are there I mean, still, still on some shows? Is any right? show? Have a laugh track anymore? I, are there? Well, yeah, like like primetime sitcoms do. Yeah. No, well, no. The Office doesn't. Thirty Rock doesn't. I don't think Earl does. Well, no, but I mean, like Two and a Half Men does, and you yeah, know, and King, if, King of Queens, and you know, uh, whatever that Jim lately. Belushi show. Yeah, if that's still on. Yeah. That's funny. I don't even. Uh, yeah, those things don't even register for me, really. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, there's a world of, of pop culture that's entirely outside our radar and yet generates millions upon millions of dollars in ad revenue. Yeah, right. Really yep. a lot more money than our our brand of pop culture does. Speaking of, take the survey. Tell us that you want to hear two and a half men commentary. Yeah, right. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love Charlie Sheen. I'll talk about Charlie Sheen all day. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. We'll close out with a segment that we call Overthink This. Overthink This. Forget about it. Forget about it. Overthink This. Overthink This.
But a boom. Where we suggest uh, artifacts of the popular culture that you might enjoy. And we have not done it in a while, and I'm glad to get back to it. And I'm going to start because uh, my insistence on getting back to it has to do with my reading a book recently called Emergency This Book Will Save Your Life. Ah, yes. By uh, Neil Strauss, who wrote The Game. Where, uh, where he profiled the um, uh, the subculture of PUAs or pickup artists, where they use a certain ideas from neuro linguistic programming to uh, talk to pretty women in bars. I guess Xander should take a tip from those guys, huh? He, he def well, he definitely should. Although I think he'd come off as more of an asshole than a uh, than a, a smooth seducer type. A smooth, yeah. P-U-A, and not an AFC. <laughs> Average would, frustrated chump. Yeah, right. he, would, he would totally be a beta male. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, dudes, don't beta yourselves. Wow, wow. We, we just all outed ourselves as very familiar with PUA culture, didn't I re- we? <laughs> well, I read it. I, I read it. I have, a fr- I have friends who own that book, and I read it when visiting their houses. Anyway, so um, <laughs> he, he, wrote this, uh, he wrote this new kind of experience journalism book where in the wake of uh, 9-11 and Katrina, he felt uh, – he lost his confidence in the ability of – uh, the government and our culture at large to organize itself uh, for the benefit of those uh, it purports to care about and protect and decided to become like a survivalist and so got a, a you know started the process of becoming a citizen of St. Kitts uh, and started taking like um, survivalist classes uh, right where he learned how to, you know, I don't know, shoot a gun in an urban warfare situation or like how, you know what I mean? Like how to clear a room, you or know, how to like get out of handcuffs. Right. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Or, um, you know, how to like urban scavenging, how to, and apparently like, so apparently has like hidden, has a, has like a, a retreat in Northern California or Washington or something and has hidden fuel uh, along the route to his, <laughs> you know, like, and has gotten into an extremely, um, uh, kind of extremely, what kind of fringe territory, but without being a fringe guy, without like, without like hating the government or hating, you know, certain elements of the society and feeling like he needs to protect himself from that. Just sort of that these things may be necessary to, you know, continue to survive, uh, one day. Now, I don't know, and he apparently kept this up over a period of years. I don't know that I could have done that, but I thought the book uh, was a really, a really interesting read and makes me want to, like, I don't know, go to the fire department and sign up for their, like, community disaster preparedness training classes or something like that. Anyway, it's, it's entertaining. You know, I read through it in, you know, two sittings. It's not the the densest reading, but I think you will enjoy it if you are looking for uh, if you're looking for something along those lines. If yeah, my having, descri- my description appeals to you, yeah. Having having also read it, uh, I I will caution that it's it's not really an instruction manual for how to you know 
get a second citizenship right. or, you know, survive in the wild. But it's it's a very interesting sort of one man's perspective of the various steps you could take, because he really does take a broad sampling of, you know, from like sort I guess you could call it. Uh, apocalyptic finance, like, you know, how to get your money out of the country, to apocalyptic survivorship, to apocalyptic urban survivor, right. survivalism, et cetera. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it does, it does, um, I, it does is raise interesting questions, I think. There was a, a professor uh, in college who I had for about five minutes named William Derezowitz, and he eventually, I think, left the academy and now, you know, makes his living, like, writing books and articles about how the Academy is full of shit. Uh, That's a good trait. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he, he does make some interesting points. And so he wrote an article in The American Scholar, right, that anti-establishment rag, uh, about um, sort of about the, the uselessness, the kind of profound uselessness of an elite education. And he he began it. Uh, the, it was an anecdotal lead, right, where he was talking about uh, an encounter he had with his plumber, and he felt like he didn't have anything to talk about with his plumber, uh, which he saw as a big defect in his character because he he didn't have any he didn't know anything about anything that was kind of in the non-academic world or that had to do that didn't have to do with his field of study. And I think that like, you know, I can, I can build, uh, websites, I guess, but I could not tell you what plant is good to eat. You know, (laughs) were, were I forced to live outside my house? And, and though I have all these skills that allow me to, uh, prosper in the economy, I don't have skills that would allow me to prosper, you know, without the, you know, if the, if the supports under the society were kicked out. Anyway, I, maybe that's not all that big of a problem. (laughs) Y'all should have been Boy Scouts, man. Be prepared. (laughs) Well, right. Yeah. As a a former Boy Scout, I can say almost none of that is going to help. That's very true. As a former Boy Scout, I can also say it's useless. But at least you would have been reading about it. Anyway, Emergency, <laughs> this book can save your life by uh, Neil... This book will save your life by Neil Strauss. Hey, uh, who wants to go next? Hey, speaking of uh, surviving you know, in the apocalypse and whatnot, um, I'm just going to take that segue and go with it. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the lo- really, really absolute lowest hanging fruit that I could possibly grab. Seeing as um, I've been living in a Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles bubble over the last few days with the two podcasts and the series finale and constantly thinking about the series finale over the last uh, couple of days um, while sitting in church during Easter service as well. Sorry, God. Um, is my, my pick is basically uh, season one of Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles on DVD, uh, also on Blu-ray. Own it now. Watch it. If you buy it in the next few days, I think it'll show up in the Fox cash register that they're keeping. There's this little dashboard on, on some Fox executives desk, uh, which is showing the amount of revenue that shows coming in. And if it right. crosses a certain threshold uh, within a few days, might save the show. So buy those DVDs, save the Ooh. show. If for no one else, and for me, Matt Rather and Jordan Stokes, who have been following it religiously and love it. I do. I, and I think the finale was good. I think if the show had been more like the finale all along, 
you know, it it uh, might not be in the dire straits that it is in today. Yeah, more topless summer glow probably would have helped. Uh, yeah, that was that was an odd fan service moment, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. you know, anyway, well, by the DVD. Well, oh, watch. hey, hey, uh, Mark. I'm sorry. I don't mean to hijack your thing, but I'm gonna piggyback on this, uh, uh, and we'll put links to all these things in the show notes for this post. But um, uh, there is also a a uh, a CD, an audio CD of music from the show. Uh, by Bear McCreary and yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, who, a pod, former podcast guest, Bear McCreary, uh, composer of Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and and Battlestar Galactica, wrote the music for every episode of Battlestar Galactica, uh, and uh, and I guess Shirley Manson has done some singing on that uh, on that thing also. Anyway, we will. Uh, uh, we will move on. Hey, John, what, what, this is your first time doing this. What do you have? Well, in the, in the spirit of Easter, uh, I'm going to recommend the 1980 British crime movie, The Long Good Friday, starring uh, Bob Hoskins and Helen Mirren. Right. Awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, crime movie in which Bob Hoskins is a, is a mid-level uh, crime boss in London trying to go not exactly straight, but sort of put on a legitimate front company with with the aid of investment from the mafia. Uh, and there are a series of spontaneous and un, unexplained attacks on his his illegal businesses over the course of of Easter weekend uh, while he's hosting a a mafia representative in town. So he has to figure out who's targeting him, like figure out which which enemy after all the enemies he's he's slaughtered is coming after him and, and at the same time put up a good front and you know just just maintain control in a, a gradually uh more chaotic world. Uh the the soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh the the acting and dialogue are all are all excellent. Uh you know it's it's very tense, you know, got a lot of good, you know, mob movie brutality it's it's a classic of cinema. I, I recommend it without qualification for all your your Easter weekend family needs. And there is a uh, there's a Criterion collection, uh, as well. There's a Criterion collection for it, so we will link to that. Oh yes, is there definitely. a lot of, is there a lot of also, rooting symbolism in this as well? Like a lot of heavy heavy organ music and mm-hmm. you know the churches and stuff. It, it there, it's also apparently being remade, although IMDb doesn't have any more information on that other than the, the brute fact of it. And I can't imagine the remake would be would be worth much, although maybe who knows. But uh, but yeah, definitely see the 1981 so you can say that you have. Awesome, thanks, John. Ooh. Hey, great first great first pick. I might have to check that one out myself. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, I because I have heard of that film, but I have never seen it myself. To to my shame. Uh, Pete, what do you got? All right, I've got the fringiest overthink this that I've come up with so far, and this will only probably be suitable for a small proportion of our viewership, but it's a YouTube channel that I've been watching a lot of lately, and it's of a guy, he's got probably got a few thousand regular viewers, um, who is, and I've, I'm, as some of you know, I've been playing a fair amount of Street Fighter 4 lately, and this guy is a competitive Street Fighter player from Connecticut somewhere. 
Um, and his name is Darkseid Phil, which is spelled D-A-R-K-S-Y-D-P-H-I-L. And he does playthroughs of video games that he records with an HD camera, and he puts them on YouTube. And the sort of charm of it and ma- what makes me watch it, despite the fact that there's probably no reason for me to watch it, other than his instructional videos, is that he has this incredibly sort of nihilistic, abrasive uh, sense of humor about things. Uh, and he just had, there's just this really strong, almost like acidic character that, that he plays. He lists himself as improv, as his style, uh, and thinks of himself as at least somewhat of a performative comedian. Although most of the, most of the videos, don't get me wrong, they're not really entertainment. They're really him playing video games and talking to himself. But it's just hours and hours of this, like, just this visceral, bilious person playing video games and talking to himself. And if you watch his Madness series, which is when he will pick a Street Fighter character and play, like, 50 matches, um, maybe like 30 matches, and just like sort of talk, not to the people on Xbox Live so that they can hear him, but just talk to himself saying nasty things about the other people playing. It's actually kind of amazing in a weird, twisted sort of way. So uh, I would suggest if you're a video game fan, and I think he does, he does walkthroughs for Left 4 Dead. He does some stuff for, I think, some of the Legends of Wrestling stuff and some of the Tom Clancy stuff and various other games. Um, check out Dark Side Phil's YouTube channel if you haven't already, and at least you can give it a, a solid raised eyebrow as uh, you see sort of the, dark, the, the heart of darkness of gamer culture. Awesome. Thank you, oh, Pete. No, that, that, that falls into the uh, subgenre of words that uh, substitute uh, the eyes with Ys and therefore become yeah. awesome. <laughs> Which I'm a big fan of, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> do for overthinking it. We do really do that for overthinking it one of the, these days, like during our heavy metal leak. Yeah, creative, exactly. creative orthography is definitely a large part of heavy metal, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, those are our picks, and that is our show. If you have anything that you would like to say because you think we are right, wrong, or just silly, just plain silly, uh, you can leave a comment on the show notes on the blog, or you can uh, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com, or uh, leave a voicemail. And we haven't gotten any voicemail recently. If you have ever... Uh, wanted to leave a voicemail, do it. I, I would like to, to play more voicemails on the show, so uh, it would be wonderful if you had anything to say, anything at all. Uh, the bar is very low, believe me. Uh, you know, listen to us. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, right. Listen, listen to us. Uh, call in and um, call in. It's uh, the number is 20 eat log zero one. That is 203-285-6401. But I think it's very easy to remember 20 Eat Log zero 01. And as always, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't, deserve. It doesn't deserve. Let my people go!